Some of you are here this morning, and honestly, you are carrying a burden God never asked you to carry. Because here's what takes place in our life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but life is not always easy. Life has its difficulties. Life has its challenges. And so what we do is we lift a prayer to God as a believer with an expectation God's going to answer. And then some time sometimes goes by, and we wait God will answer, but while we're waiting, if we're not readily equipped and in the right place spiritually, all of a sudden, along with whatever we've lifted to God, the waiting creates anxiety and despair and fear. And it's not enough that we have this request now, this need now, along with it while we're waiting. With that need comes another weight and another burden of this fear and stress and anxiety. And that's a burden that God has never asked you to carry whatsoever. How do you live out where you really wait and you come to church and here's what you're told, trust Jesus. Now that's true, but what does it mean? It's kind of this hyper-spiritual, nebulous, trust Jesus. Does that mean I trust the historical Jesus from 2,000 years ago? Does that mean I trust the future cosmic king who's coming for me? If you knew what Jesus was doing for you right now, today, this afternoon, it would be much easier for all of us to go, oh, I can trust him. I can trust him not just because of the past, not just because of the future, but I can trust him because he's doing something right now present in my life. The question is, do you know what he's doing for you right now? Now, God knew we would have this question. He knew that there would be seasons of waiting. We're waiting for his revival. We're waiting for the answer to a need. So he puts a story specifically in Scripture to teach us, here's what Jesus is doing for you right now. So that we would be able to know it's what he's doing. Wow, and I can trust him. So much of our Christianity is oftentimes based upon what I have to do. I have to read my Bible, I have to pray, I have to give, I have to do these things, all good things, but we put almost all the emphasis on what I do. This morning, Jesus wants you to sit back, rest, and learn what he is doing. Here is what he's doing for you. So this story is in the scriptures, and it's about two sisters, and they, like us, have a need. They got a brother, and the brother is sick. Maybe they took him to a doctor, Maybe they explored all the opportunities they had. And then they decide, no, we know how our brother can be healed. They send a note to Jesus. And they say, hey, listen, the one you loved, Lazarus, the one you loved, he's sick. And they have, by all means, this real sense of expectation. He's the one Jesus loves. Of course, Jesus will answer him. And because they don't know what Jesus is doing, they fall into the trap that oftentimes we fall into. They get this burden. They carry this weight. Jesus is bringing your answer. But while he is, you can walk in a joy and a faith and a liberty. And this morning, he wants to remove from you that burden 
of anxiety and stress and fear. So open your Bibles to John 11, and we're going to look at this story and what takes place and what we discover what Jesus is doing. John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Mary and Martha offer a prayer just like we do. Theirs comes in a form of a note. Ours comes in a prayer with an expectation. And they end up in this cycle that oftentimes you and I end up in. You have this expectation. Of course God's going to answer the prayer. I know what his word says. I know what the promises are. Of course he's going to show himself to me. But you frame it in what you expect God to do. And oftentimes God doesn't work the way we expect him to. And all of a sudden you have to wait. And expectation turns into disappointment. And disappointment turns into confusion. What's going on? Why isn't doing what I thought he would do? And confusion turns into regret. You'll see this in the story where Mary and Martha both come up to Jesus and they say this, if only, if only I would have prayed harder. If only I would have given more. If only I wouldn't have said those things. And there's this regret and you can land in a place where they were, which is despair, because you don't know what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus wants to illustrate to them and to us is, here's what I am doing for you now. So it's a little bit of a longer story that we're going to read. But as we read it, I want you to look for the action of Jesus. Here is what Jesus is doing, not just for them, but 2,000 years later. Here's what he's doing for you. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some said, could he not? He who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him be free. It's a phenomenal story. And the story of what Jesus is doing actually begins before he gets to the village. He gets the note, and the moment he gets the note, he begins to do something. And we know what it is he's doing by the very end of the story. Because right before he does the miracle, he speaks to the Father. Almost never happens in Scripture. And he says this, I thank you that you always hear me. John eleven forty one. He looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, that you always hear me. The moment Jesus gets the note, he starts praying to the Father. They start having this conversation about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Do you know what Jesus is doing for you right now? He's praying for you. The Son and the Father are having a conversation in the heavens, and they're talking about you. They're talking about your need. They're talking about your situation, and they are making these plans for you. I don't know specifically what they're saying, but I can tell you that conversation, it's full of faith, it's full of hope, it's full of power, it's full of victory. That's the conversation that's going on. The Father always wants to know. He says, I thank you that you always hear me. There is no off switch. The Father is interested in every detail about your life that the Son brings to him. Because oftentimes when we are in this waiting period, this question comes into our mind. Does God even hear me? This story teaches us a really important truth. Nobody prays alone. If I have a need and I ask Pastor Talk, will he pray for me? And he prays for me. That is meaningful to me. But the fact that the Son of God, who Hebrews calls the great intercessor, is having a conversation in the heavenlies about me. And they're always having a conversation. It will be a few days till Jesus shows up, but he starts right away engaging in this. Why can you trust Jesus? Because right now there's a conversation going on and it's about you. And you're never praying alone. And when you feel you are completely isolated, you are not. The Son and the Father, they're talking about you. And what becomes really important is that I want to make sure that my conversation about my situation matches that conversation. That the words out of my mouth match the words that are going on there. So I'm going to be speaking with faith and hope, and somebody may look at me and go, but Joel, what you're going through is so tough. Yeah, but I want my conversation to match that conversation. I can trust Jesus. Why? Because he's talking to the Father about me. And I do not pray alone. And that conversation, they're making plans. Pastor Talk talked about Romans 8, 28. That's the conversation going on right now about you. There are good things being planned. Then he shows up on the scene. He comes and you think, okay, now he's going to do the miracle. They've had the prayer time for the miracle. But a miracle doesn't take place right away. Martha comes out. 
And Jesus comes to Martha, and they have this dialogue, this teaching moment. You think, just go do the miracle. But Jesus looks at Martha and says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? What's he doing? He doesn't want Martha to get so caught up in the outcome that she misses a revelation of who he is in this moment. So before he does the miracle and solves the problem, he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. You know what Jesus is doing for you right now? While you are waiting for your outcome, he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to come to you and say, I am. Do you believe this? Because here's why. Here's how we handle our Christianity at times. We have a problem. We need a solution. Mary and Martha have a problem. They offer a prayer to Jesus. They're waiting for the solution. And most of our approach towards life is problem, solution, trust God. Jesus doesn't do this. He goes, I know you have a problem. I'm bringing the solution. But in the middle, I want to bring a revelation. I want to show you who I am. Because a revelation of Jesus is even far greater than the solution he's going to bring. You're going to discover something about him that will sustain you for your life. I'm 60 years old. I've been on this planet a long time. I tell people, just put me on an iceberg and float me off to sea. But I've been a Christian long enough that I've discovered that when I have a problem, God brings a solution. But you know what else I've discovered? Three months later, I got another problem. God brings us another problem. My problems don't seem to go away. They keep popping up. Two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old kids got a problem. Twelve-year-old kids got a problem. Nineteen-year-old kids got a problem. And when you live your Christianity, your faith in Jesus, by problem to solution, problem to solution, problem to solution, without a revelation, your life just becomes this roller coaster ride. And he goes, I'm going to bring the solution, but before I do, I want to bring a revelation of who I am. And what we need to do sometimes is not get so distracted by the outcome, we miss the revelation. When we only focus on the outcome, we go, wait a minute, how can I trust Jesus? Because not only is he going to bring an answer, he's going to bring himself. And he wants to show me who he is. Because oftentimes we have this question while we're waiting. Why isn't he answering me? Why isn't he answering me? He will. But part of his answer is himself. I am. Do you believe this? There's a story in the New Testament about a guy who had a problem. He was a paralytic. He had four really cool friends, though, because they were willing to vandalize a house to get him to Jesus. So you can imagine dirt and dust flying everywhere. They vandalize this house. They lower him down, and the entire house, which is packed with people, everybody goes, ah, oh, what's going to happen? There's a problem. We can all see the problem. Jesus is going to bring a solution. And they're <coughs> eager to see this miracle take place. And Jesus walks up to him. He's laying there on the couch. Jesus probably kneels down to him. And everybody knows here comes the miracle. And Jesus doesn't bring a miracle. He looks at the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the guy and I'm lying there, I'm going, you know, thanks for this religious moment, but what I really need to do is walk. 
I wonder if they had this conversation where the paralytic is going, really? I need to walk. Jesus replies to him, you think that if you can walk, all of life will be perfect. You think that if you get your walk and you'll have full joy and full meaning. Look at all these people in this house. They all walk. You think they're all happy? Do you think they're all full of joy? Oftentimes we think the outcome will solve all the problems. The outcome will bring full meaning and joy and peace. Only Jesus does that. And that's why he says, listen, here's what I want to do. I want to bring you a revelation. How can you trust Jesus? There's a conversation going on about you. How can you trust Jesus? Because if you will not just focus on the outcome as defining your relationship and your faith and you focus on his revelation, he will show himself to you and it sustains you much longer than the outset. I remember when my dad was uh, diagnosed with cancer, it was just like a gut punch. And I kind of went through the Mary Martha cycle. Of course God's going to heal him. He's a missionary. He's holier than a lot of people who got healed from cancer. Of course. And then we discovered that he would have to go through the treatment. God did heal him, but he had to go through the surgery and had to go through the chemo. And at the very beginning of the process, my dad pulled me aside. He said, Joel, if for whatever reason I have to go through this, the one prayer I have is, Jesus, show yourself to me. Let me learn about you. Let me discover you. Let me have your revelation in a greater way. Later on, I discovered dad was actually doing that for my benefit. That as a son, if I have to go through this, Jesus, show yourself to me. Because here's what happens. When you get a revelation of Jesus, it leads to a revival in your life. An outcome never leaves to revive. Jesus leads to revive. And you come to life and you have this faith and you have this victory, even though you have never had the outcome yet. I know some of you are here and you are carrying a serious issue. And with that, there's been this burden of anxiety and stress and fear. When I stand up in front of you and say, trust Jesus, the story is here to say, you can trust Jesus because there's a conversation happening. You don't pray alone. You can trust Jesus because he wants to reveal himself to you. He doesn't just want to give you an answer. He wants to give you himself if you'll open up your heart and your mind and it will revive you. The story goes on. You go, okay, now for sure, now he's going to do the miracle, right? And yet he stops and he sees the crowd. And here's what it says in John eleven thirty three. 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that English word is a really bad translation. Jesus gets really, really angry. It means he's really vehemently angry. There's a word I would like to use, but my wife said it's inappropriate to use that word in church, so I won't use that word. But he is really ticked off. Why? He talks to the Father. They're making good plans. He goes to Martha. He's revealing himself, and then he looks at the situation, and it gets him really, really angry. Because here's what I believe is going on. He sees the sickness, he sees the death, he sees the sorrow, and he's going, this is not the world God designed it to be. This is not what was in God's mind and heart when he created this world and he created humanity. 
God never designed for us to be in doubt and despair and fear and anxiety. He did not create a world that was full of sickness and evil and hardship. This is not his design, and it makes Jesus angry. Because oftentimes when we go through hardship, one of the questions that comes up in our heart and mind is, why is this happening? It's just not fair. And what Jesus says, you're right. This is not fair, this is not just, this is not right, this is not what God created, and it gets him really angry. Not only is he praying for you, not only is he revealing himself to you, but what you have to get a hold of is Jesus is fighting for you. He knows there is this battle, and he is the one who is really fighting for you. When he went from village to village, and he saw sickness, and he saw death, And he saw injustice. He never said, why would a good God allow this to happen? He never said that. Here's what he said. We're at war. And I'm taking authority over this. And he walked in this authority over the situation because it made him so angry. Why can you trust Jesus? Because he's fighting for you. Oftentimes when we're in that period of waiting, we're depleted. We got nothing left. We just go, Lord, I'm tapped out. And the battle seems too big, too overwhelming. Some of you who have adult children, and they kind of gone away, and you've been fighting for them, and you're just like, I got nothing left. Jesus wants you to know, trust me, because I am fighting for you. I'm doing the warfare for you. It's my battle as much as it's your battle. This is illustrated in the Old Testament. There's this great story that many of us are familiar with that shows how we can trust Jesus because the Old Testament always points to Jesus. So there's a story of David and Goliath. And oftentimes when we read that story of this shepherd boy and this giant enemy, we put ourselves in the place of David. How do we conquer the enemy? We're not David. Do you know who we are? We're the Israelite soldiers who are sitting in the corner trembling in fear. Because they see the enemy and they go, I'm paralyzed. I can't do anything. This is too big of a battle for me. He's too strong. That's who we are. And we can't move. And into the story of this giant enemy that has paralyzed the people of God comes this shepherd. And the shepherd looks at the people of God and says, why are you so afraid? You're the people of God. But he does not disregard them and walk away. He says, I'll do it for you. I will be your substitute. And in his own way, he takes on his way and he destroys the enemy. And when he destroys the enemy, the Israelite soldiers, all of a sudden now, the people of God, they rise up and they go, wow, the enemy's been defeated. Now we have faith. Now we have power. And they chase after the nation and they become part of the victory. And it's a picture of what Jesus is doing for you. He says, listen, I am fighting for you. How can I trust Jesus? Because my situation really makes him angry. Because this is not the world the Father designed it to be. This is the world that is so broken and so evil. And it makes the Lord really angry. And your situation, it really ticks him off.
And he's doing something about it. And if you're here this morning and you are depleted, it's okay. If you're like one of the Israelite soldiers and you go, I'm just so scared of what could happen. I'm so overwhelmed and I'm so full of anxiety and stress over what could happen. There's a shepherd who comes onto the scene in your life. And he goes, I'll fight for you. I'll conquer your enemy for you and go, I can trust you, Jesus. I can trust you because you know and you are fighting. You go, now's the time for the miracle. You can trust Jesus because he's praying for you. There's a conversation going on. You can trust Jesus because he's revealing himself to you. You can trust Jesus because he's fighting for you. Now's the time for the miracle. Not yet. Jesus does one more thing. Really strange. He sees all the people and he's going to bring a miracle, but he weeps. Shortest verse, Jesus wept. And this word wept does not mean that he just kind of had a small little tear. It means he was profusely wailing. He sees all these people weeping and he joins them. Why? Why would he do this? He's going to bring a miracle. He's going to change this situation. I got to tell you, if I'm Jesus, and I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus, and in case you're confused, I'm not Jesus. My wife has set up a website called joelisnotgod.com. You can check there. But if I was Jesus, and in the back pocket, I had this, I'm going to change this funeral into a huge party. I'm going to change these tears into dancing. And I knew that was what I was going to bring. It would take every ounce of energy for me not to have this big smile on my face. Like, I know something you don't know. He doesn't. He weeps. Why can you trust Jesus? Because he is so connected to your pain. He is so connected to your hardship that even though he's bringing the answer, he cries with you. Nobody cries alone. Some of you last night who put your head on your pillow and you wept over that hardship you're facing. You weren't crying alone. He didn't do it as a teachable lesson. He did it because it was in his soul. Jesus does not come to us to bring a solution as a Marvel DC superhero. He comes to us, connected to us. He cries with us. Because many times when we are waiting for that answer and we're in that window of time, one of the statements we make is, nobody gets me. Nobody really understands. I mean, I'm grateful for the people who are praying for me, but they're not going through the soul-wrenching divorce that I'm going through. I'm grateful for my small group that's praying for me, but they didn't get the diagnosis. They don't wake up with this every morning. And we have this thought that looms in us. Nobody gets me. I'm all alone. And this story is put there for us to understand and really get a hold of this truth. Somebody gets you. Jesus gets you. Jesus cries with you. Because oftentimes when we're in that time, really, even along with the answer, what we want to do is be seen. To be understood. Sometimes the pain of the invisible is as bad as the pain of the need that we have. 
And you need to know this story teaches us Jesus sees right now into your most vulnerable, the most hurt places of your heart and your mind. He sees those fears. This is the gaze we long for, to be seen, to be understood. It's the gaze that will change us. It's the only gaze that mattered. When Jesus was on the cross, he was looking at you. You were the one that was on his mind. And it's as if in this story he's saying, listen, I am giving you permission to be weak. And I understand. He's talking to the Father. He's revealing himself. He's fighting. But some of you this morning need to capture this one, that he is crying with you. My wife and I were asked to go see a, a young single mom. She was about 30. She had three little kids. And her husband had just made the choice that he was going to leave her, found another woman, and went away. I can't imagine the horror of that on so many levels. We went into a lounge room and she sat down and she just began to talk saying, you know, I know this is hard, but I've got to be strong. I've got to be strong. I've got to persevere. And the Holy Spirit put a word on my heart for her and I said, listen, Susan, God gives you permission to be weak. And she bursts out in tears. Because when you're weak, his strength kicks in. That's who we trust. That's how we trust. I know some of you come this morning with real serious needs or fears or questions. And when I stand in front of you and I say, hey, you can trust Jesus. Because there's a conversation going on right now. And it's a really good conversation. Because if you'll put a pause on the outcome, there's a revelation he wants to give you. Because he is fighting for you. Because he cries with you. And then you finally get to, well, now he's going to do the miracle. But even in bringing the answer, there's this other wrinkle we discover about what Jesus is doing that is so important. He says this in John eleven forty. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus always has a greater purpose than just the answer of your need. And think of this. You and your life and your story, you get to bring glory to God. There's no greater privilege, no greater joy, no greater honor than whatever my hardship is. Jesus will use it and not just answer my need. Somehow he's going to bring glory to God. Somehow other people are going to hear about this. Somehow he's going to get greater recognition. He says, listen, I'm going to bring glory to God. Because a lot of times we go, how will this all work out? And when we're waiting, we tell God what he needs to do. We're really specific, too. It's like, we've got the seven things he needs to do to have it all work out. It's got our ending. And he says, listen, I didn't cause your suffering. I didn't cause your hardship. I will bring an answer. But the answer I bring won't just be an answer to a solution. Do you believe that God's going to get glory through this? That on a greater level, in a greater way. And you can trust Jesus now while you're waiting for that outcome. Because you know it's not just about the answer. It's about him getting glory. And my story, my life, will bring him glory? My dad had to have the surgery. And so I went to see him on the hospital ward uh, two days after his surgery. And I met the head nurse, and she said, are you Pastor Jack's son? I said, yeah. She said, it's only been two days. But this whole floor has changed. 
I said, really, why? And she said, well, you know, he's recovering from his surgery and he's got his little, you know, his little tripod with his little IV coming in. And he says he kind of shuffles himself from room to room. And if they're willing to let him in, he'll sit next to them and he'll open up the scriptures and he'll read them an encouraging, life-giving psalm or he'll pray for them and pray for healing. It says it's completely changed the whole nature of this floor. And I discovered my dad wasn't a cancer patient. He was a missionary to cancer patients. And God was getting glory through that. In the same way, whatever hardship you're facing, whatever difficulty, don't settle just for an answer. Make your prayer, God, get glory through this. On a greater way, I know you'll bring the answer, get glory through this. Some of you are carrying a burden of fear and anxiety and stress because you're waiting. This morning, I really believe God wants to lift that burden off of you. Doesn't mean you get your outcome in the next few minutes. But you discover a faith and a joy and a peace that passes all understanding as that burden gets lifted off of you.